Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. podcast with me Carly. Hope you are all well witches. On today's episode we have an interview with the magical and mystical Sorrel from Hexenberg talking all about how she works with bones within her crafts but also in her day job. Following that we'll have some insight into bone magic overall, how bones have been worked with from ancient times through to today. But to kick things off we have our book review. I feel like I've been so fortunate to read two of my all-time favourite books back-to-back. We had The Once and Future Witches last week, and today I'm reviewing a book called A Lantern in the Dark, Navigate Life's Crossroads with Story, Ritual and Sacred Astrology, written by Danielle Blackwood. I knew I would love this author when she states early in the book that Women Who Run With The Wolves was a book that she read whilst in some of her darker times and that straight after she changed her whole life. She retells the story of Baba Yaga and she mentioned Gemma Gary, who I'm a huge fangirl of. I'll be very honest, it's been a little while since a witchcraft non-fiction book has piqued my interest. Don't be mistaken, I have tons and tons and tons to learn about the crafts. We could never learn all of it, but I struggled to be inspired by any of the books that I saw. However, the minute Kimberly, one of my lovely Patreons, recommended this book, I knew I had to have it and I devoured this book in no time. All I can say is, wow, this book, in my humble opinion, could be read by all witches from perhaps your early 20s to gain insight into sacred astrology, but more so what you might expect across the span of your life. So different spiritual thresholds that occur for all of us at around the same ages, but yet this is where the real magic happens for us. And I say early 20s because I think the first threshold she references is at the age of 25. I was reading through all the different age groups she outlines and which planet is said to influence changes you are going through thinking, wow, that's literally when I changed in a massive way because of X, Y, Z. And I'm sure you will find the same. I'll read the book's blurb so you can gain insight into exactly what it's about. When we find ourselves at a crossroads, the conventional ways of understanding where we are can fall short. We are betwixt and between. No longer who we used to be, not yet who we are becoming. However, these psycho-spiritual thresholds, which everyone experiences around the same ages, 
are where the real magic happens. Using sacred astrology, Daniel Blackwood shows you when to expect crossroad times throughout your life, including the Saturn return and the midlife transits. She also reveals how myth and folklore can be unexpected sources of guidance. Discover the keys to self-realization, create a self-care toolkit, and learn how to support loved ones going through difficult times. As you uncover the archetypal dimensions of your own story, you'll make peace with the past, navigate the present, and move toward your unique purpose. I adored what the author said about astrology. I know there are a few people that aren't buying into the whole birth chart thing, but I kid you not, whoever puts those together must have had CCTV on me my whole life because mine is incredibly scarily accurate. And this was simply an online free to access one that I did. I'll put a link into the show notes if you'd like to have a look at your own. So although she doesn't get into birth charts per se, she does write about them. This section of the book blew my mind. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the language of astrology, your birth chart is a snapshot of the heavens, taking at the moment that you came into the world and took your first breath. It is as unique to you as your fingerprint, and no one has ever had the same chart as you in all of history. And no one ever will again. The birth chart has been called a psychic blueprint or the map of one soul. It reflects the core issues you come here to work out, the gifts you are here to cultivate, and points to the essence of your life purpose. I loved the stories within this book and how they represent different phases of life we are in and why. The shadow work questions she gets into for each phase, they go really deep. They were brilliant. Love the accuracy of the book. I thought the toolkits she puts together for you to manage a particular phase were excellent. She outlines different herbs, crystals, plant allies, deities, colors, and essential oils you could work with within that phase relating to that planet. Loved the meditations she has written. They are incredibly witchy. There are quite a few of them that you could record and listen back to. She seems as an author to be really down to earth, kind, friendly, the sort of person you would want on your team whilst you are at this crossroads. So I often find some authors come across as though they're like telling you what to do. They're not encouraging you. You can sense their tone when you're reading the book, or maybe that's me deep in it too much. Just felt this author came across as absolutely lovely. Also thought the spell work was worthwhile and well thought out and definitely marked each transition you might be experiencing. You can tell the author is very hedge witchy and I, of course, resounded with that a lot. This author is now up there for me with Clarissa Pinkola Estes and Danielle Dolsky, one of my new faves. She really speaks my language. If you are someone who finds Clarissa Pinkola Estes or Danielle Dolsky tricky to read but like the themes, you might find Danielle Blackwood's book a lot more straightforward and easier to tackle. Although I love both of those two authors, 
I struggled at first with reading their work. There is a lot to process. It gets very deep. So I can relate completely if you did feel like this. Join me after the break when we are interviewing my wonderful, talented friend, Sorrel from Hexenberg, all about by magic. Welcome back. So when I knew I was working on an episode about bone magic, I knew I had to speak to Sorrel from Hetzenberg. She's based in Austria. I have been admiring from afar her work on Instagram. She has the most wonderful aesthetic and Norse-inspired jewellery. Hello, Sorrel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Carly. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you're on. Honestly, I feel completely honoured. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yes. Um, So as you already announced, um, I work with bones, both spiritually, but also artistically. And this all started about two years ago. Um, I had lost my practice of spirituality and witchcraft since my teen years. And two years ago, I finally got back into getting into my craft and delving much deeper and also exploring my ancestry and other nature-based religions and shamanism and spiritual paths. And then I just came across the usage of animal bones as decoration or as jewelry and also to commune with the spirits of the land and the animals. And that just completely fascinated me. And it led to me having to find um, an animal skull. And there are so many deer and wild boar here in Austria. So the first skull I purchased from a private person was a, a deer skull with beautiful antlers. And then it all went from there and I started decorating them and then gradually turning them into jewelry and very intricate pieces to wear for myself. Um, so yeah that's how it it came about and that was about two years ago and I remember a year ago around this time I started making jewelry for myself consisting of earrings and very simple necklaces and with time I just it always became more and more and like bigger pieces and I was completely in love with Etsy the online platform where artists can share their divine pieces and I just found such special items there for myself. So I thought maybe I should just open an Etsy store myself and try to sell a few earrings that I had at that that time. And I started manifesting that process. Every new moon, I would sit down and I would write down uh, what I want to sell in that store, um, what what I want to show, how I want to show myself to the world. Um, And then last year, the autumn equinox, I opened my shop. Oh, I love this. I love the whole manifesting it and like working on it on the new moon as well. We'll, Me and Rachel will have to do some of that for our Etsy store. (laughs) It's really inspiring. (laughs) I also love the name Hexenberg. So can you tell us a little bit about the name? Yes. Oh, I love the name as well because it's it's an old German term for witchcraft. It's not really used anymore. People rather say Hexerai, 
but Hexenwerk mm -hmm. is, is literally translated into witchcraft. Hex is the witch and Werk is like work or craft. It sounds so much better in your accent than my dodgy South London one. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it just sounds so much more majestic when you say it. <laughs> and I need to say as well, Sorrel has got the most, like Sorrel is such a talented woman, honestly. I mean, she speaks like three languages. I'm just going to throw it in there with my one language. Like, I'm sorry, but you have impeccable English. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> but back to, back to the bones, because I'm so curious about this. Can you tell us how you work with bones within the work that you do? Yes. Um, so I work with bones both spiritually and also artistically. Um, mm -hmm. I create one-of-a-kind jewelry um, and ritually enhanced pieces. Um, they're intended to be worn, but I also like them as decoration. You can hang all the necklaces up and elevate any space you want in your house or place them on your altar. I also like to use paint to decorate skulls and paint them. Um, and then I find all sorts of uh, fabrics and old jewelry. And then I, I love doing upcycling and then making new pieces out of things that were already used or that I found somewhere. And um, that's how I work with the bones artistically and then spiritually. I have different practices where I integrate working with the bones into my witchcraft or using them, for example, as offerings to Mother Earth when I perform a ritual outdoors. Oh, I love this very much. Can I ask you how you source bones for your work and obviously for your practice? Yes, um, so because I live in the middle of the city, um, I had to find a way to source bones ethically. Um, and we have this uh, secondhand platform here in Austria that almost everyone uses. And you can find anything from furniture to jewelry, clothing on that platform. And I found a few people that live in very rural areas here in Austria and the countryside. And they are um, devoted bone collectors because they come across like whole carcasses where they live and yeah um, yeah and I've been in communication with these people and they they clean the bones as good as they can um and they send mm. them over to me so once you okay so are there any practices you carry out once new bones come into your possession Yes, definitely. The first thing I like to do is clean them with water first, just to get off any dirt or dust that still may be on them. And I like to proceed to cleanse them with smoke and take this time to really sit in meditation and honor what was left behind and admire the bones. And they're all so different and they all hold a different energy. Um, I really believe in the magic of spoken words, so I like to really speak to them out loud as I would to a pet, for example, and tell them that they're beautiful, yeah. and that they're in a safe home now, and, and that I will create something out of them that will be cherished and that they will not be forgotten. So I really like to give them that attention and love. Um, and I do that with wow. all things when I receive them and also with the pieces I create when they're finished. I also like to smoke cleanse those pieces and cherish them when they're finished. 
I absolutely love this. And I know you and I spoke about this because our ancestors, they would have basically kept animals it was very infrequent that they would have eaten meat, but when they came to sacrifice an animal, every single piece of that animal would have been used, whether it was worn, whether the meat was eaten, the bones would have been used for something. Like they, they were so respectful of and careful to honor and use everything, which is very far removed from what we do today. Um, and obviously as well with your practice, I know that everything you know that comes to you is ethically found and you know treated and so on so I think it's such a nice sacred practice with those bones you know it's all natural and I feel like I mean this is something I'd really like to um look at doing within my practice I felt very um keen to see if I can come across any animal bones or if there's anything that I can work with um so yeah, I guess for me, it's just really interesting to understand how you started, what you do, so that I can get some tips for if I happen to come across any. <laughs> yeah. I um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, like, what's your relationship to the bones, as in energy and spirit? I know you've touched on that, but is there anything else that you're happy to share with us on that? Um, yes, um, I love to communicate with the bones by meditating mm -hmm. with them. And I've also done some shamanic journey with um, different deer bones. And then I kind of went into a complete trance state where I was in the forest with these animals. And I think they really hold that potent energy. And because they're from the land that surrounds me, I really feel an even deeper connection to the nature that surrounds me. And that's also a reason why I would never get anything exotic or that is not from the lands I live in because that would kind of feel untrue to myself and not very ethical to purchase something from very far away. Um, so I like to do, do the meditation with the bones. And um, another way that I like to use them spiritually is to, to do offerings or leave offerings behind from Mother Earth when I do something in nature I like to bring bones with me and give something back to the earth. That's so primal and tribal as well, isn't it? Because if you think like our tribes, they would have worn like headdresses of animal bones and so on to connect with those animals. So it's a really ancient practice that you're, you know, kind of, I know you're not running around with like a deer, you know, <laughs> antlers and so on on your head, but it's like, it's a similar kind of concept and it's, yeah, I just find it really, um, from a shamanic perspective, like fascinating. So I love this. Um, so, okay, so we have touched on this. It's just that I'm really fascinated with trying to get as much as I can information wise from this. So with your craft, so how do you weave working with bones into your craft? I know you've touched on this, but is there anything you do with perhaps like your altar or any other ways that you you weave it into what you do? Mm -hmm. um, another way I, I like to weave magic into the bones is uh, by creating or by making a ritual out of every step. Um, every step from the moment I receive the bones up until if someone has purchased one of my pieces, the packaging and, and the way I pack something and I write, I always write a handwritten letter and send a little gift 
And I'd like to make a ritual and a sacred space out of everything and like incense and burn some candles and um, just really be in a sacred space when I, when I work with these bones and give them the time and dedication that they need. Um, sometimes I even like to speak my intentions into the piece that I'm working on, or sometimes I even sing my intention into it. Um, and what I also love to do is leave the pieces on my altar, because that um, yeah. I think that they're altered by being on, on a sacred space and also by being on my windowsill to soak up whichever mm -hmm. lunar energy we're in. Um, I love to place them in the in the full moonlight, but sometimes if the timing is not perfect, then it's the new moon or the waxing moon. So in terms of your craft, obviously I know that you do a lot of work with um, bones. I know there's obviously sort of different aspects that you're interested in. We've touched on this as well because of the sort of Norse interest, but do you work with deities in your craft? And if so, are there any deities that you work with that perhaps link into the work that you do with animal spirits and bones? Yeah, so um, I'm not sure if considered deities, but um, I always honor Mother Earth as a life-giving, nurturing being and mother. And the moon is a huge role in my, in my craft as a cyclical goddess and a reflection of ourselves and also in her triple aspects. Um, and I think this is a direct reflection of my work as well, because working with cycles and with death and life and this rebirth cycle that we all go through and Mother Earth goes through, um, I think that really reflects on my work, being as the bones are the dead state. And then while creating and after creating something out of them, they are reborn and cherished and have a new life in a different form. Um, and also, um, what I would like to add is I, I work a lot with my menstrual cycle and that also plays a yeah. big role in working with bones. Sometimes I adorn the bones with my menstrual blood and, and use them also, use the bones and the blood as offerings and sacrifices to Mother Earth because everything is, so, is cyclical and I really, I'm, I'm really attuned into my own cycles and the cycles of the moon and I think that's all interchangeable. And again, that is a really good way of delving into your like dark divine feminine energy as well. Any work that you do with your menstrual cycle, your moon blood, again, that's another really good kind of primordial um, ritual. So yeah, it's like a, yeah, really good. Um, yeah, I mean, like something we've been talking about a lot of late. So I'm sort of feeling the synchronicities here. <laughs> what is is your craft overall like aside from just working with the bones mm -hmm. my spiritual craft as in my witchcraft or yeah yeah just any other influences that inspire the work that you do you know the pieces you put together or your practice overall yeah so um besides nature of course being my first um first and foremost source of inspiration um also uh, when i started looking into the ways that my ancestors lived a very nature-oriented life and would celebrate nature and live in, in tune with the cycles um i came across the, the wonderful rich history of the viking era and of norse mythology and 
the depictions of the vulvas and medicine people and the northern shamanism and their magic, which is Seder magic. So that really plays a big role in my in my creations as well, because I work with runes and with old staves and symbols that the Vikings would use in battle or also to um, uh, for divination. This is why I absolutely love Sorrel's work as well, because it wouldn't be, you could actually imagine Lagatha wearing some of this. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No, but seriously, you can see a North Sea wearing it. It's just so, you know, and her photography is amazing. You will see, if you're listening to this on Spotify or certain platforms, you will see on the episode itself an example. Well, you'll see a lovely photo of Sorrel and an example of some of her photography, but you must check out her Instagram because it's got that really, you know, amazing, like Norse, dark aesthetic to it. And I'm absolutely here for it. Oh, thank you so much. And we've got... <laughs> And we really bonded as well, not only over a love of the bones, but much talk over the Norse and, you know, Sears and the Volvers and, and like, and also the programme Vikings, which we have a shared love for. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm sure Vikings was a big inspiration for me two years ago when I started watching the show. Oh, absolutely. Same for me. I mean, I've obviously gone off to go and, you know, I am... I, um, I, funnily enough, I ended up watching Vikings because of like an ex-boyfriend and I thought, yeah, this is, you know, when he talked about it, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me, you know, and then like one week later, I was absolutely hooked and, yeah. you know, wasn't <laughs> sleeping just watching Vikings, so, so wrong on that, but um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, very educational program, aside from the eye candy of um, Ragnar and so on. <laughs> It is. It's so wonderful and magical to look at. And I just wish we could go back to those times and live in those villages with a seer and be attuned with nature and, and yeah, just live a more natural and magical shamanic life. I'm here for it. We need to set up some kind of commune, like, you know, and just <laughs> set this up. We'll, we'll appoint a seer. Um, I'm here oh, yes. for it. We'll have rituals over the land and, you know, some people can do the farming. We'll, we'll split it up. It'll be great. <laughs> That's a great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, I'd be there tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I often think about this I think it would work I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that will be up for it just you know sell all your stuff let's all club together buy some land it will be just the same as you know when the Vikings came over to the UK and and yeah like set up there you know the scenes on Vikings when they're setting up the farm and so on in my mind I see it going up it going like that <laughs> It's interesting that so, you because there actually is a Viking um, community in Norway, I think, and they have a very ancient lifestyle and they actually have like a community like that. <laughs> oh, wow, I'm going to go. Honestly, I, this is <laughs> news to me. Like, I'm so interested. I just kind of watch it and I just think, you know, I really could... I mean, it was a hard life. Come on, it was a hard life. But I think that they kind of, when you listen to the, the one thing I'll say for like Viking law and so on, there was 
some really great laws that the women had in that time that really blows my mind you know like things that they are allowed to do in comparison to the rest of the world at that time it's very clear that they're very progressive and from that aspect I'm like you know if I was in that time yeah hell I'd like to be part of the Vikings so definitely <laughs> they really got it right they knew how to live yeah <laughs> <laughs> I always think like because I, I know I always bore people to say this but when I found out I've got like um loads of like Swedish ancestry and in my mind I'm like yeah I'm sure that they were like really you know interesting and like warriors and all this and you know I'm like god imagine if you found out they were just like the really boring ones and weren't doing anything <laughs> I'm just no. like oh no can you imagine I've, I've romanticized it so much <laughs> Right. So my most important question of any interview that I do. So what music do you listen to within your craft, be it for ritual work or whilst you work with the bones? Oh, I love this question because I absolutely love music. <laughs> it plays such a big part of my, in my life. Um, so I would say for ritual work, I love playing some Runa Hild. Um, Runa Hild is a Norwegian folk musician who incorporates shamanic drumming into their art and also oh can I get their name again Sorrel sorry what was the name again Runa Hild oh I haven't heard of them okay I might have to put that in the show notes so people can have a listen I'll I'll yeah I'll have to add that definitely I love their music and um, also Draugurni is a Swedish Icelandic artist um, producing amazing ritual music. Very dark, very mystical, magical. Very good to set the right mood for a ritual. Love this. Yes, absolutely love this. Well, where can we find you, Sorel? Where can we find your work? So I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram at Hexenberg, and I think we're going to put a, a link in the show notes. Um, and yes, on Instagram, you can also find the link to my Etsy shop. And those are the two platforms I'm on right now. Um, yeah. I will add all of that to the show notes. So thank you. And please do go and check out. It's, oh my goodness. Please go check out Sorel's work. It is beautiful. <laughs> it is. I haven't seen anything like it. It's absolutely stunning. She's so creative and I'm, it's just her photography is outstanding. It's got a wonderful kind of dark Norse look to it. So please go do check her out. I will get everything in the show notes and Sorel, thank you so much for coming on. It's been so good to speak to someone who's doing amazing work with these bones I love your respect for them I love how you look after them how you embrace them when they come into your possession and thank you so much for telling us all about it because obviously like myself I'm sure there's many of which who this is something that they'd really like to look into and you know incorporate into their practice provided they ethically come into the bones so thank you for sharing with us what you do thank you so much Kari thank you for your words Thank you for the chat today. Oh. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back again. So let's delve deeper into bone magic. Animal remains have traditionally been used in witchcraft and other magical practices since the dawn of man, whether it be through animal sacrifice, bone divination, spirit summoning, or for protection from evil spirits. Our ancestors had to make do with what they had, which meant animal remains were often used for magical and mundane purposes. From the Sangoma healers of Africa, to the shamans of Native American tribes, to the vulvas of Norse paganism, through to more recent years where we see witches working with them, root workers and practitioners of Southern Conjure. Throughout the Old Testament, a number of colourful biblical characters used bone divination as a means to predict the future and advise patrons on matters ranging from the ordinary to issues of communal or tribal importance. The earliest use of bones was likely as amulets and fetishes. Archaeological finds have uncovered fire bones of mammoths that were carried by nomadic cave dwellers from Belgium. The smaller bones, such as the carpus and tarsus, were perforated and worn as charms. Other early uses include bone fires, known today as bonfires, where the bones of animals were ritually burned to appease a deity. Other early uses of bones include for divination, the blade bone of different animals, including sheep, deer, bear and ox, were used for divination since antiquity and are still used by certain groups worldwide today. The blade bone was placed into a fire until it cracked in various directions. Once the bone cooled, the splits and cracks were carefully analysed. One method of reading suggests a long split lengthwise signified the way of life, while good and bad fortune were read from the lateral cracks. In Scotland, the scapula was stripped of flesh and inspected for any semi-transparent parts of the bone. Dark spots were believed to symbolise misfortune, while black spots foretold death. The Irish used a similar practice, except darker spots indicated that someone will be burned out of the house. 
In Europe, scapulomancy went by many names, including Slimy Natched in Scotland. Chaucer mentioned the practice in The Parson's Tale of 1395, where he described the divination using the shoulder bone of a sheep. Gerald of Wales in Journey Through Wales wrote, A strange habit of these Flemings is that they boil the right shoulder blade of rams, but not roast them. Strip off all the meat and, by examining them, foretell the future and reveal the secrets of events long past. Using these shoulder blades, they have the extraordinary power of being able to divine what is happening far away at this very moment. By looking carefully at the little indents and protuberances, they prophesy with complete confidence periods of peace and outbreaks of war, murders and conflagrations, the infidelities of married people and the welfare of the reigning king, especially his life and death. There is further mention of bone divination in Ireland as recorded by Drayton in his Polyolbion, oh, why do I get all the big words? As described below, a divination strange the Dutch made English have appropriate to that place as though some power it gave by the shoulder of a ram from off the right side, pard, which usually they boil, the spade bone being barred, which when the wizard takes and gazing thereupon, things long to come for shows, as things done long agone. That made so much sense, but that's your proof. This passage is very similar to that from Gerald of Wales, is it? I couldn't figure any of that out, but anyway, both of which describe using a spiel bone to divine the future. Other methods have also been recorded, including by peering through the semi-transparent bone as a form of scrying, or grinding the bone into a powder, dissolving it in water, then drinking the liquid. Mmm, yummy. This practice of shoulder bone divination, as described in the passages above, continued through the 19th century in Europe. By the mid-19th century, however, the shoulder bone began being used in love divination to reveal a future spouse or persuade a reluctant lover during the Renaissance, scapulomancy was eventually classified as one of the seven forbidden arts. Despite the change in European magical circles, scapulomancy continued to flourish among Native American tribes across North America. Like early European and Chinese peoples, Native American tribes, including the Algonquian and Innu, would heat the scapula until cracks formed. However, they relied heavily on caribou, deer, rabbit, and very seldom sheep scapulars to determine where they should hunt, instead of foretelling their futures, commonly referred to as the shoulder blade path. They also used beaver tibias and bear patellas to determine hunting success, while fish mandibles and clavicles were thrown to answer yes with the teeth upwards, or no, with the teeth downwards. There are dozens of other bone divination practices used by Native American peoples that survive to this day. Apart from divination, bones have also historically been used for protection. So across Europe, horse skulls have been found buried under churches, home hearths, in walls, chimneys, and even under barn floors. 
Much of the folklore associated with horses is concerned with luck. So think horseshoes. And it is possible our ancestors placed the skulls in the home to bring luck as well as for protection. Cats were also commonly placed in the walls of buildings across Europe, especially in England, Wales and southern Scotland. It is believed the dried cats were placed in walls for two reasons. To protect the home from vermin and as a sacrifice to the home as the protector from pestilence. More commonly, however, animal bones were used in fetishes, an object believed to have magical properties or to be inhabited by a spirit. Today, skulls and bones are used for a variety of purposes. Skulls and bones can be used as a holding vessel during spirit work, whether by the spirit of the animal who originally inhabited the body, by other animals of the same species, or by other spirits entirely. Summoning or invoking a spirit to the vessel can aid you in your communion or spell work by allowing you to draw from their qualities, especially those of animals. In ancestor work, the animal spirits inhabiting the bones can act as mediators, messengers and even guardians or protectors during ancestral work or spell work. Skulls can be used for divination by gazing into the eye sockets or even into the base of the skull. Being the seat of consciousness, any images or messages received are thought to be from the spirit inhabiting the skull. The use of animal remains in witchcraft is based on the idea of animism, the belief that all things, living or non-living, have a spirit. Animism is the underlying theme of witchcraft, so it should be no surprise working with animal remains is based on a belief in animism as well. If an animal spirit has chosen to remain with its remains, the spirit can either be helped to the other world or you can contract it to help you in your magical workings. It's said that helping a spirit cross over is relatively simple, but contracting a spirit is a little more complicated. The spirit will only remain if it receives something in return, while the witch has the opportunity to gain a powerful spirit ally, each spirit with its own talents and abilities. Bone magic or divination is not essential within a witchcraft practice. However, many a hedge witch, divination witch, green witch, there are various types of witches that might enjoy including bones within their craft. Overall, bone collecting should only be done ethically and through sustainable sources. There are, of course, ground rules on how to obtain and collect bones, which vary from practice to practice. And above all, deep respect must be given to the bones that are used. The use of bones is a very tricky subject and has always been controversial going back centuries. The common belief, and I cannot stress this enough, is that nothing should be killed for the sole purpose of magic, spells or collecting bones. Collecting bones must be as a result of the death by other means, whereby it's natural or perhaps through roadkill. Of course, there is animal hunting that occurs too for food and so on. I don't eat meat, so I'm unlikely to support that route for me personally. However, if you live by the land and eat meat and hunt, at least that animals had a life generally 1,000 times better than factory farming structures. 
We have to accept that animals nowadays are often seen as a commodity, whereas in times of old, animals were viewed as sacred by us as a collective. They would have been killed with care and reverence. The family or tribe hunting would have never taken more than they needed and would often conduct specific rites to honour the spirit of the departed creature. Once they performed the necessary rites, they paid their respect, then the meat would be eaten. It was considered blasphemous to waste remaining parts of the animal, so they would use every part of the animal. In some cultures, they believed that the spirit of the animal might return to your home with a deadly curse or with severe misfortune if its remains were mistreated or wasted. A far cry from today when in animal farming, it's considered okay to keep a pig in a cage where it cannot move for its entire lifetime. Like, where did it go so fucking wrong? Sorry, just my humble opinion. All the research I carried out, every single site stated how much bones must be treated with respect, care and dignity. It's recommended to keep them somewhere in your home where they won't be disturbed or played with. Bones should never be sourced solely for the explicit purpose of collecting for magic. You can find oddity shops that will have salvaged and cleaned up bones and they ensure to take great care and respect for the bones that they sell. But at the same time, it's worth keeping an eye out when you are out in nature for bones that you come across. So this kind of made me laugh. For example, (laughs) the other day, (laughs) the vertebrae of a fish landed in my garden. But this was as the result of seagulls that had eaten said fish. I mean, you know, I didn't start working with these bones because let's be honest, about half an hour ago, prior, they were probably part of someone's deep battered fish and chips because I live right by the sea. So, you know, there probably wasn't much energy left in that fish for me to work with. When it comes to buying bones, you might want to look into your country's or state laws in relation to osteology and bone collection. Some countries prohibit the sale or buying of bones or remains of certain animals. Some bones are restricted from being removed from a state, province or country. And some countries prohibit the sale, buying or collection of human or animal bones. I'm not going to get into human bones on here. An important belief is that when you source the animal's parts through mistreatment, you are already tainting your magical intention by tainting their magical essence. So expect nothing good to come from it. To kill an animal purely for their body parts for selfish reasons is to dishonor and disrespect their spirit. So my personal take on this is that if I naturally found some bones out in the wild, I would probably want to work with them I would of course ask the spirit of that animal if I could work with them essentially hoping to honor nature cycles the death cycle so working with animal bones in bone magic there are a few general or broad options that people work with animal bones so firstly working with the animal from which the bones came from This can mean asking for the animal's assistance, for them to do your bidding, lending their energy. This process requires the animal to want to assist you and also requires a rapport and relationship with the animal first. This process takes time. It can be done through offerings, ritual, meditations to meet and connect with the animal spirit of the bones. 
working with the collective energy of the animal. So different cultures also have definitions of what certain animals represent collectively, and often in regards to animals that are native to a specific region or continent. The bone or bones can be used to connect with the collective spirit of the type of animal that the bones are from. So animal spirits are represented so differently within different cultures, for example, Celtic, Eastern European, Asian, African, and so on. You might want to look into your cultural background and if bones were used within spiritual practices that they used, and you can understand more on how that animal was represented or how their spiritual essence appeared to your ancestors. You could work with that animal's collective spiritual energy within meditation, ritual, and offerings. If you have an animal spirit guide, you can also use the animal bone to connect to the collective animal energy that is your animal spirit guide, providing the bone is from the same kind of animal that your animal spirit guide is. There are different ways that bones can be used in magic. Intuitively working with those bones is ideal, but here are some suggestions for how you could add bones to your magic workings. You could use the bones as the focal point of your spell or magical working, or you could add them as a lesser element of the spell. Same as using other correspondences such as herbs, crystals, planetary and astrological aspects, the elements, elementals and colour magic. The animal's spirit can be added to enhance the spell with the help of the animal's bones. Adding a bone to a spell with the energy of the animal or collective energy of the animal spirit can be done to add or draw a quality of the animal to your working, or you can ask the animal to assist with your working. For example, if you need something quick and cunning, you could use a fox skull or bone. For wisdom and teachings, you could use a wolf skull or bone. Depending on the size of the bone or even skull, the bones or bone can be added to perhaps an altar where the spell is done or can be added to a charm or perhaps a spell bag with herbs, crystals and perhaps oil and carried on you or the person you're gifting it to to do the working or draw something towards or away from you. I said wolf skull or bone like they're just running rampant in the UK, but obviously we have a lot of American listeners. <laughs> so bones and skulls can also be used for meditation and astral work to help you connect with the energy of the animal that the bones belong to, or again, to the collective spirit energy of the animal. To work with the animal energy in astral work or meditation, you could simply hold the animal bone or skull or have it placed near you and focus on the bone or skull. You could speak with the bone or skull and the animal and allow yourself to feel its energy, maybe allow the conversation to flow. If you wish, you could record any messages or feelings that you receive from the astral working or meditation. This method could be done prior to any magic or spell work that you wish to do with the animal bone to ensure that the spirit of the animal and bone accepts and wants to help you with the magical working. It's said that you should be sure to always get permission or the go-ahead from the animal first before using any bone or skull in your magical working.
So some important notes in regards to bone magic. It's said that before using any bone or bones for the purpose of magic or spell work, again, be sure to ask the spirit of the bone if it will be acceptable to work with the bone for the magical purpose. Again, this could be done psychically and intuitively, sensing or hearing an answer, or you could use a form of divination to get your reply. If you feel that it will be okay and that the energy or the spirit of the bone agrees to your working, then it's said that you can proceed. But if you get the feeling or message that the spirit of the bone doesn't want to participate, then don't use that bone in your magical working. Keep the bone or skull in a safe place on display or place neatly in perhaps a protective box or case. If you feel that the energy of the bone doesn't mix well with your energy and you no longer wish to have it in your possession, then it might be best to find the bone a new home for someone who will take care of it. I did come across a Kitchen Witch's blog where she stated that she worked with a very large animal bone, much like a pestle in her practice, to grind herbs and spices and another to stir soups. She did this as animals are seen as a sign of abundance and prosperity when used in magic and that by using animal bones in your spell work, it can help with conjuring spells relating to abundance, prosperity and financial gain. She also worked with a long bone as a wand. This is absolutely something I could see Baba Yaga doing. So I mentioned earlier human remains, which I'm not going to be delving into, but I can give you a fascinating bit of macabre lore that many powerful witches would ask to be cremated or have their graves kept secret so that other magic practitioners wouldn't attempt to acquire their bones for the bones of a powerful witch would ensure that their spell work would hold their remnant power. So let's look at bone divination, also known as bone scrying, throwing the bones or casting the bones. Bone divination is a unique form of divination that varies from culture to culture, regionally and globally. Different cultures have had different methods of divination using different types of bones, sometimes by throwing the bones or, like we mentioned earlier, by means of fire. In most cases of bone divination, there aren't any set rules and is rather a quite personalised form of divination. Bone divination will vary between diviners and practitioners, that each practitioner will have their own methods and means of prediction or finding answers through this means of divination. For many practitioners of bone divination, ancestral spirits and perhaps spirit guides are consulted during the reading. The practitioner, like many diviners, will also have a special bond and connection with their bones and will take great care of them. Throwing the bones is a term for a type of bone divination that not only uses some bones but also other trinkets that are added to the mix. The small items and bones are thrown on a rug or specially designed mat. Then depending on where the items land on the rug or mat, the practitioner gives an answer to the proposed question. This form of divination and the items in the mix are often collected by the practitioner, but some kits can be found online. 
Bone reading is a form of divination that uses animal bones, but you can also use in their nuts or shells, dice or beads. All of them collectively are known as bones and all are used to divine information. Each individual bone or piece has a specific meaning assigned to it, usually by virtue of perhaps the characteristics of the animal the bone comes from or the part of the body represented by the bone. So to give you a traditional example, water buffaloes, they were known to migrate. So the water buffalo tooth is often associated with travel. It's said that the raccoon penis bone, what do you think that's associated with? Well, of course, it's sex and sexuality. (laughs) Other items such as keys, horseshoe charms, coins, There are so many things that you can add, and I will go into this, but they can all be added for their symbolic value. So in times past, the bones were often tossed into a circle drawn on the ground. However, modern bone readers are more inclined to toss them onto a specially marked cloth. Sometimes this cloth may even be the hide of an animal. So how do people acquire their bone divination kit? So some people will purchase a set online. There are apparently some reputable companies that put them together. They are said to be ready to go as they are. However, they are largely regarded as a starter set. So people will often add new items to their set as well. In this way, no two bone reading sets are alike. Some people prefer to gather their own pieces and assemble their bone sets over time. These people often find bones while on nature walks. They may harvest them respectfully from roadkill. Some folks feel that the process of finding, drying and ritually preparing their bones imbues the bones with their energies and makes them a much more personal tool. Suffice to say, animals are never killed for the express purpose of taking their bones to be used in a bone reading set. Items such as dice, beads, charms and so on can be obtained easily, but sometimes certain different aspects that you might add, they could come from perhaps like old jewellery, unused keys, other things you already have around the house that might mean something to you. Some bone readers may choose to read their bones as upright or reversed in a manner similar to tarot cards. So those bones which fall upright are thought to have positive aspects and mean that an energy or condition is present and growing. So when they're reversed, it represents that the energy is weakened or shrinking away, decreasing. To determine if a bone is upright or reversed, you might wish to choose a bone that has two distinct sides when making your divination bones. Or alternatively, you could mark the bones in some way to indicate which side is heads and which is tails. You could use a plus sign to represent heads and a minus sign to represent tails or you could simply paint or draw a dot on one end of the bone to represent heads, whatever you choose. When a bone falls heads up, it represents good luck. 
When it falls, tails up, it's said to represent bad luck. As a reader, you have to decide for yourself if you wish to consider reversals in your readings, as well as how you will determine if a bone is upright or reversed. So blessing of the bones. So it said that before use, your bones should be blessed and consecrated. One method was that each bone could be cleansed in perhaps cool running water, laid out to dry, smoked in incense. Again, however you prefer to bless and consecrate. Another lady I came across in my research preferred to smoke cleanse her bones with cedar, copal and mugwort. She placed them on her ancestral altar for a couple of weeks so that they could absorb the energy of her ancestors. If you don't work with ancestors, that's fine. You could use the same technique with an altar dedicated to a deity, spirit in general, or perhaps just a sacred space that you use to channel spirit overall. If you work with ancestors or deities or spirit, a method I came across was presenting each bone to them and explaining to them what that bone means for you within your divination. So this is done to establish a common language between you and your deity, your spirit guides, your ancestors. When not in use, you may wish to store your bones at your altar just to keep soaking up their energy. And you might want to place your bones in maybe like a small like pouch or in a small box. As a more advanced form of divination, bone throwing can be a very personal form of divining as each bone set can be entirely personal. Again, you can purchase online a standard set, but if you wanted to start your own, you could add anything that you feel is right to it. Of course, you may want to add some bones that are sourced ethically. You might even want to add like one or two. You may not even want to have bones in there at all. There are some sets that people refer to it as that, but they are made up of all different trinkets. You could add to some bones, perhaps some shells, trinkets, coins, no two bone throwing sets will be the same. Each which crafts and collects their bones based on their throwing style and often a set will change significantly over time. Each piece of the set has a meaning, but the meaning of the individual pieces is not as important as how the pieces relate to each other, how they fall, where they touch, the distance or lack thereof of each piece comes together to form a narrative that helps to illuminate the question that the caster has asked. Many people avoid bone throwing because it seems like more of a difficult form of divination to learn. It seems very intuitive and not terribly concrete. And a lot of people are used to the fairly cut and dry meanings that you can find in tarot books. While bone throwing is certainly more interpretive and intuitive than other forms of divination, I've heard it said it's not difficult to learn. Again, I'm, you know, putting this episode out there. This isn't something that I've done. I'd like to create my own, you know, bone throwing set, but I'm not there yet. So please don't think I'm telling you what to do or that I've done it myself and I know all about it. The creation process is said to be 
more of the vital step of learning to use them. So, you know, familiarizing yourself with your set, this can unlock a deeper connection with your tools than you might be able to have when you work with commercial divination tools like the tarot and so on. It said that bone throwing is a great way to harness psychic power if you just don't know quite how to tap into it. It said that this method of divination can help you access those deeper psychic messages and improve your intuition massively. It said that bone throwing can help you to connect with the earth, with past generations of witches and with your primal nature. This is a tool made from what you have available, from natural items, perhaps hand-me-down trinkets and such. It's shaped by your reality and your circumstances, and that is something that is often lost in a digital age. If you sometimes find yourself struggling to connect with the physical, human part of your spiritual self, bone throwing is said to feel like a revelation. So some of the downsides that I came across when it came to bone throwing is said that bone throwing can be a fairly volatile form of divination and that if you're not in the right headspace, if you are perhaps blocked psychically or the bones simply don't like your question, you may get no answer at all. Thankfully, it's usually easy to tell when this happens because a reading will feel flat and uninspired at times like this, and you'll know to put the bones away for another time. So I read that if you struggle with your psychic side, you might initially find bone divination tricky. Everyone has psychic skills, but not everyone works on accessing them because we might feel scared to, or we might not be sure on how to, and that's understandable. But if you feel like you don't have any kind of psychic capabilities right now, bone throwing is said to be a great tool to help you work through those barriers. So how to collect and create your own bone set. Creating your own set of throwing bones should be a fun, intuitive process. It might be something you do all in one afternoon, but more than likely, this process will take you a bit longer. Once you start, the pieces tend to just find their way to you. You may start with three pieces or five, but as you go about your normal life, you'll start noticing things that beg to be added to your set. People will drop by with strange gifts for you. You'll find odd items that call to you. And before you know it, your bone throwing set will be complete. So I've started putting together my own little bits and pieces. They are bits that mean something to me. I've got like a little witch bell in there. I've got a crystal in there. I've got a little brooch in there. Just putting little rounds and bits together. A bone throwing set doesn't have to be made up of bones. In fact, if you feel squeamish about it, you don't have to include any bones. You could collect feathers and perhaps shells and rocks, antique trinkets, buttons, bits of driftwood, bottle caps, crystals, carved wood figures, pretty much anything else you can think of. The main criteria should be whether it speaks to you. Again, it's all got to be a similar size as well. You can't have like one hefty item and one tiny little button. So bones and natural items that you could include. So you could include maybe, again, like animal bones, animal teeth. That sounds slightly morbid. Uh, seashells, small sticks or twigs, 
stones, crystals, acorns. I had a really macabre thought about, you know, the tooth fairy and small children's teeth that we could have. <laughs> we won't go there. Small seed pods, coral, sea glass. If you collect random bits of nature, you probably already have some of these in your house. Household items that you can include. So marbles, buttons, small toys, clothespins, coins, jewellery, pendants, keys, small tiny heirlooms, thimbles, mementos, pieces from a Cluedo set. Just don't choose just any item you find. You know, you want to choose items that might mean something special to you. So maybe an example could be like a button that came off your granddad's cardigan or something which could be used for ancestral protection or if you're like me, like you might have a baby's umbilical cord clip. That was another example that I saw that you could use for maternal love. It's said that the key to building your bone throwing set is to choose items, again, that just mean something to you. Each item should represent something a little different than the others. And again, they should all relatively be the same size. Some people choose only natural items like bones, seashells and stones. Others choose a mixture. Others simply just use household items. The choice is completely yours. Don't let anyone tell you there's only one right way. Sit with each piece for a minute and really meditate on what that piece means to you. What do you first think of when you see this piece? Like, how does it make you feel? Are there any memories you associate with it? Write these things down, perhaps in your grimoire, because shadows or your journal. And again, you know, you might wish to commune with your ancestors or deity or spirit guides at your altar in relation to what you've chosen that they mean to you and what you're going to use them for in your divination set. Some ideas for what each part of your bone throwing set could contain are as follows. So you could have one for the self, one for health, one for wealth, one for family, one for love, one for magic, one for yes, one for no, one for evil or bad intentions, one to represent male energy, one to represent female energy, one to represent like one or many and this should be a two-sided item apparently one to represent truth this shows your heart's true desires another for other this is for if you want to read for someone else and lastly fated or decision again another two-sided item indicating whether you can change the situation I know that's really complicated. I'll put all that into the show notes so that you can see. With the male and female option, so these gender bones or items are useful when you don't know who is involved in a situation and you want clarification. You don't need to have all of these either. You might just opt for a few of them. Again, you might have more than that. It's entirely up to you. And the most important thing I saw stressed on all the sites that I went on when it came to building up your collection was taking the time to find the pieces that really spoke to you, that you gave them meanings that resounded with how you felt or saw each piece. So I have some beginner bone reading techniques that you might want to try. 
It said that bone reading is an art that takes practice to master. It is a process that takes a lot of time, depending on how much time and effort you invest in the art, as well as your own giftedness in divination. It said that when first starting out, it's best to begin with some basic techniques to develop divining skills that you can build upon. The first technique, the daily draw. This is a good way to add bone reading into your daily routine to draw a bone from your bone bag or bone bowl, that sounds so weird, at random and read it as a theme for your day. As you go through your day, look for signs of the bone's message or energy in the people that you meet and the events that transpire. Record your daily draws in a bone journal or perhaps your book of shadows for review later. As you become more proficient in this practice, you may wish to blindly reach into your bone bag or bowl, grab a few bones at random and toss them on your reading surface. Study the configuration of bones before you, look for a pattern that speaks to you and again record your prediction or predictions in your bone journal or book of shadows to determine your accuracy or inaccuracy. When you get comfortable with this technique, you can expand your bone reading practice by throwing all the bones at once. Even then, it may be helpful for you to break up the configuration into separate groupings and read them separately. There's a free bone draw to address an issue or problem. So think of your question and one at a time, draw three bones out of the bone bag, laying them in front of you in a straight line. The first bone represents your problem or issue. The second bone represents what is needed or called for to address the issue or problem. The third bone gives an indication of the most likely outcome of following the advice of the bones. And lastly, the tarot technique. So when combining reading the bones along with reading the tarot, apparently you have two choices. They are the first, reach into your bone bag or bone basket and pull one bone at random and place this over the tarot card in a tarot spread. The meanings of both the tarot card as well as the bone are considered and an interpretation is given. The second, reach into your bone basket or bag, grab a few random bones, tossing them over the spread. The bones are read along with the tarot cards in relation to where they fall on or about the tarot cards. This same method can also be used with other cards, so oracle cards or the Lenormand. So lastly, what to do if you come across some bones in the wild naturally? So if you come across bones that still have flesh on them, such as roadkill, if you decide you're going to work through the process, again, I have not done this. I am just going on a lot of research off of the internet Firstly, you need to begin by removing the flesh. So some do this via a slow cooker method. I'm not going there. Burying the bones, digging them up after a few days. Also the process of maceration, which is a cold water method, said to be really stinky. We'll go into that. 
Some people lay out the bones just so any animals can eat the remaining meat, but it's said that that's tricky as they might make off with your bones. The morbid but somewhat intriguing method I came across was via the domestic beetles that are flesh-eating beetles, but this is a method apparently for someone who's consistently needing to clean bones, so that's quite worrying. A method people use is hydrogen peroxide to whiten the bones, which helps sterilizing them. People like sun them, so leave them out under sun. And this helps with the process, so bleaches the bones. But using bleach to clean bones, even in small concentrations, is harmful to the bones and will cause degradation, so not to be recommended. It's said that you shouldn't boil or bleach the bone. Boiling causes fat to soak into the bone, resulting in a greasy, yellowish specimen. You can use ammonia to remove superficial grease on the bone, but it cannot remove deeply embedded grease that will eventually come up to the bone surface. So maceration was said to be the best method. So removing any tissue or hide from the bone, immersing the bone in a container of cold water, leaving the container in a warm location where you can handle the smell. Periodically, you pour out the water, apparently gardens love it, and replace it with fresh water. Once the water runs clear, the bacteria have apparently like run their course. Then you can soak the bones in regular chemist bulk hydrogen peroxide that will sterilize and whiten the bones. And ta-da, you are done. Oh, mate, I'm so talked out. I appreciate this episode won't be for everyone, witches. And in terms of my own practice, I am likely to have bones on my altar if I find some naturally that have, you know, been there a while, haven't any meat on them because I know me, I haven't got the facilities to clean them up myself. You know, I'm not that bold. I might have to settle for another fish vertebrae that's landed on me from a passing seagull off of someone's deep fried cotton chips. We'll see. All the details will be in the show notes of the sites that I found for research for this episode. You can access Grimoire pages for this episode on Patreon if you want to refer back to everything. I will catch up with you all soon. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for listening. Lots and lots of witchy love. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.